Hello, I'm Eric Zoncherb, Chair of the Board of Directors of Critical Elements Lithium Corporation, ticker CRE on the TSX Venture. We intend to develop the Rose Lithium Tantalum Mine and Concentrator in the James Bay region of Quebec. The project benefits from high purity, excellent metallurgy, attractive, robust economics, and immediate proximity to the essential road access and power lines. In addition, we have permanent green light from the federal government in Canada, and we believe that we're nearing completion of the Quebec permitting process. Eric. There's you, a recognition. Oh, sorry, I thought, Eric, I thought it finished. I, I'm going to interrupt you anyway. Just, I, want to, I, want, I want to be able to ask some questions. Eric, first of all, uh, sure. lovely to see you. Um, it's been far too long. I think we're back in the beginning of August when we when we last saw you. But I, I, wanted to, I wanted to catch up, okay? You're going to be asked the same dreaded question you probably get asked every single day. But first of all, I'm going to start with, you raised some money. Market did not like it. You raised at a premium and the market did not like it. What's your version of uh, what's happened there? Because your share price dropped like a stone. Indeed. Well, we talked about this in August at our last discussion. And uh, we said that we would be opportunistic. As you said, uh, the potential for GNA and so on and so forth, strategic initiatives would require additional financing. But what I did say was it's not going to happen at eighteen. So when instead it did happen is at $1.75 per unit. It's up 48% from that level. We raised $30 million. And from our perspective, management would agreed that it was prudent to have a cushion. You never know when you're going to get another COVID variant or a war in Ukraine or who knows whatever thing is going to happen. But the reality is that it's prudent to have that money. Secondly, it's really important to have money in your genes when you're sitting across the table from strategic investors. That's essential. If you if they believe you're on fumes and nothing's going to happen, then that, that really puts you at a disadvantage. And then finally, we have a number of things that we want to accomplish. And if, if one looks into the prospectus, there is a clear outline of what we want to accomplish, $10 million on, on front-end engineering design, detailed design for the mill for the phase one of the project. Uh, another $6 million for infrastructure, front-end engineering design, and detailed engineering. So we have some strategic things that we want to accomplish. The $30 million was necessary, in our opinion. Obviously, the market disliked it, as you mentioned it. Um, but I do note that, yes, we were off significantly, but to be honest, so was the sector. The uh, If you look at the global LIT, the, the ETF, that is off dramatically and has not yet recovered from that early November high. If you look at valuations, and I track them very carefully, if you look at enterprise value per ton in the ground on a global basis, we nailed the peak there. So it's not like there was any momentum stolen there. I think it's a good thing that we did. In the meantime, I, my heart bleeds as a shareholder. Uh, I'm very, very unhappy for the shareholders that might have lost money at that point in time. And you've done a half warrant as well at 250. Um, it, it, if things were different, you probably wouldn't have had to have done that. But the, you know, let, let's go straight to the question everyone's talking about, which is timing of permit. When we first spoke February, you said it was going to come by hopefully August. It didn't. August came and went and you're you're still waiting. So is there a fundamental underlying issue with the 
the permitting process for you? Is this something that we we need to be aware of? It's a very important question. We we spoke early August, and about I believe it was a week after we spoke, we got the green light on the federal level. So the Canadian uh, responsible minister gave us the green light to go ahead. So that was as we expected. The beauty is that in the federal process, you have a legislated timeline. And apart from a three-month extension that we agreed to due to COVID, uh, the, the feds kept to that. Now, in Quebec, there is no legislated timeline. It's quite normal when you look at other projects that have gone through this process to see four or five rounds of questions and answers. And we've been diligent in responding to those questions. It's normal to, to move forward after four or five rounds. We have now completed the fifth round and... Hopefully that means that near term, we will be completing the Quebec permitting process. Now, we can, we can be frustrated by that process and the time that it takes. But at the end of the day, you get permitted in Quebec, you move forward and it stays in that status. It's not like Serbia where they can pull your license on you as Rio Tinto's just found. It's uh, it's a government that is stable. It's not like a left-leaning government has just been elected, as in Chile, and they're talking about further nationalization of lithium production uh, going forward. It's not like Mexico that's uh, bringing Bolivia of all countries in to discuss how to how to produce uh, lithium. So. I, I think that we should all be very comfortable with Quebec as one of the top tier mining jurisdictions globally. I am. And we've done a whole show on um, the unfair advantage that Quebec mining companies have by being in the province of Quebec. So I, I, I do understand it, but I'm also cognizant that Canada, which likes to put itself up as a tier one jurisdiction, does, does have its own issues, First Nations and otherwise, um, with you know getting mining projects running to to time, right? And you, you have not been able to call the speed at which the permit would come through. So is it a case of if not when, or can you not even commit to that? It, uh, it, in my opinion, it's it's a matter of when, not if. Um, I, I Looking at the questions that have been asked and the answers that have been provided, I don't see any yellow or red flags there. Uh, it's a, simply a matter of those people going through the process. And if it takes another day, another week, another month, I'm not overly concerned. Once it happens, then we'll be able to move forward and discussions with the strategic uh, parties that are out there that have been going on for years will hopefully come to a swift conclusion and we'll be able to move forward. If we're talking about raising $425 million Canadian for phase one alone, that's a significant amount of investment that is ready to be unleashed in this excellent province. And we're excited about, about doing just that. Right. Okay. So let's pop back a bit. So we'll see the market's perhaps getting getting over the um, the raise, this, this, the quantum of the raise, the price of the raise or whatever it is that people had um, initial problems uh, with, um, which is good news. But the other, the other good news in this is you were able to raise 30 million bucks. So Who's, who's um, and I, I saw the consortium of, of institutions who raised that money for you, but what sort of money is it? Is it more institutional money? And if so, what did they need to hear from you to give them the confidence that this thing's going to move forward in a timely fashion and you're not going to burn your way through 
30 million bucks waiting around for the permit? No, great question. No, part of the reason for doing a prospectus offering as opposed to a traditional private placement with a four month hold is that one is able to expand the institutional shareholder base. Uh, as, as I'm sure you know, a four month hold is not something that appeals in the United States or other jurisdictions. It's, it's largely a Canadian a Canadian feature. And so what we wanted to do was prepare the market for the future for when we do uh, provide the funds for project financing, raise those funds, and then, then we will be able to work directly with some of those institutions that have come on board um, or wanted to get on board in this deal and weren't able to get in. So I mean, tell me this. I mean, you, you've got two big names on the board. We talked about them last time. Right? You've, you've got Stefan Haber and Marcus Bruin, who um, I've not seen Heidner hair of, uh, but I'm assuming they were sitting in these institutional meetings talking about the money side of things, which must have lent credibility given they sold you know, their, their project at Albemarle for $6.2 billion. That's uh, you know, great comfort to us. Well, as a former banker, that would lend me great comfort. But what, what was it that the investors wanted to hear from those guys about their experience about you know, um, what they see in front of them? Because the, the, the fundamentals of the project haven't changed. Right? Nothing's gone away, fallen away. It's just this waiting period. What were those conversations like? Well, when you're when you're talking to a strategic partner or investor, potential investor on the other side of the table, it's essential to have people like Stefan and Marcus on your side of the table that have uh, more than 10 years experience running a billion, multi-billion dollar company in the lithium industry. Um, I'm very grateful that they're there. And although that's not something you can put into a news release, it's essential in these very complex discussions with potential off takers. And that's exactly what the institutional investors want to see. So if I put my analyst hat back on from, from the days on the street, if I had a, a company coming in with a, a really a lovely lithium exploration project, that's one side of the equation, but you really want to see people on management and the board that have been there and done that in the lithium industry specifically. It's not gold. It's not copper. It's a very complex industry, right. both on the marketing side, technical side. Right. So, right, exactly. And and I guess what I'm trying to get at and is say, because we've not, we've not heard much from you. You've been really quiet, super, super quiet, right? So it's hard to know what you're thinking, what what you know, what's actually going on? Just the you know, the bare minimum, bare minimum of news releases is in those conversations with people who stumped up thirty million bucks. They obviously heard the things that they need to hear. How do I translate that into the world of retail investors who are perhaps are a little bit disconcerned, or family officers who are a little bit disconcerned with what they've seen so far? What 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 would you say to that audience? Yeah. Well, to, to be clear. Did we do marketing, institutional marketing? Yes, we spoke to over 100 institutions. Did they hear anything that anyone else didn't hear? Absolutely not. We have a lot of regulatory eyes on us, and there's no way we're doing anything in terms of um, unequal disclosure to anyone. So they didn't hear anything different. But what they did hear was the quality of management, the quality of the project. Uh, they, they hear about what the progress has been. They know that permitting is not something that's that's here yesterday, it's something that's to come. So that's really important. I, I, I really wanna emphasize that. 
those institutions are now on board, the ones that participated, and we are we hope to expand that. And one way we're going to expand that is the fact that we hired Patrick LaPerriere, who is a Montreal-based capital market specialist um, who's been around the institutional game for a long time. And he's been uh, designing the, the investor relations program to be launched. Um, now, obviously, there hasn't been much to say because, for one thing, negotiations, strategic such uh, and such, are private. There's no way we're going to be news releasing who we're talking to and who CAs have been signed with and who's rummaging around in the data room. But they are ongoing. Once the permit is in, that's an important catalyst. If we are demanding institutions or, or pardon me, strategics to invest along with the investors, in other words, no offtake without investment, if we're demanding that, then why would we do a deal like that, selling part of the company or the project at these lower levels when we believe there's a re-rating that could happen along with permitting. So that's a matter of timing. There's a strategic reason for that. Once that happens, that's when we can start talking a lot more volubly about what is happening on the strategic basis. Okay. So, so this, that's a really important point, right? Is the, the fact that there hasn't been many announcements and the fact you haven't got your permits doesn't mean you've been sitting idly twiddling your thumbs. The conversations have still been happening with strategics and others. Um, and that when, and well, when, I'm saying when, right, uh, the permit arrives, you can accelerate into the process which you've you presumably have already got down uh, on paper and know what you're going to be doing. Is it, there's going to be no no ramp up period required. That's correct. Okay. Now, as as we've talked about before, there are a lot of potential counterparties there. You've got the OEMs that are trying to lock in uh, spodumene concentrate and uh, and lithium hydroxide for the future. You've got battery manufacturers doing the same thing. You've got mining companies that either are or want to get into the game of lithium. You've got oil and gas companies that have their renewable divisions, private equity companies that just want to invest. So there's an awful lot of potential counterparties to this. And obviously, we have to go through and identify what is the best route for the company and its shareholders. You, you do, but you've had a lot of time to, time to do that. And I know that's subject to whatever the, the counterparty wants to talk to you about. But we've seen in other, and we're going to broadly use the, the battery metal uh, equities, um, get MOUs in place. You, the OEMs seem to want to tie that down. Um, you know, people along that food chain want to tie subject to subject to MAUs or LOIs in place, and we've not heard anything of that from you. Is that because no. the counterparties don't, don't do that for, for well, in, they don't want to do that with you? Or is that because you're just very early in the conversation? Some of the more acerbic observers in our industry tend to view MOUs and LOIs as not worth the paper they're written on. <laughs> well, I I, 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 I do too. And again, I've done, I've done, we've done shows on that. Um, you know, we've written right. about it. So I, I agree with you, but it's a good marker and indicator for retail and, and, and others to say there, but you know, this is our chance to tell you that the conversations are happening and subject to us delivering and performing, there's an offtake here. There's a strategic investment here. So, so you're saying it's promotion there. 
I, I am saying it's promotion, and I've seen it elsewhere as promotion. So I'm not saying necessarily I, I as a you know former banker, I'm, I'm going to be a, a buyer of that's definitely happening. But it's indic it's an indication of what could be. Right. Uh, to me, there's there's two kinds of promotion. There's the good kind and the bad kind. The good kind is the kind that you don't have to go back to the market and say, sorry, but we didn't actually mean that, or we shouldn't have said that, or the regulators have told us that we shouldn't have said that. Um, good promotion is, of course, necessary. We need to tell what's going on. Um, I definitely do not want to see us retract things. Um, to me, if we say that XYZ has invested in the company, They've bought a certain percentage of the company or a certain percentage of the project, and they have offtake. That, to me, is a much, much stronger signal to the market than an MOU with a company that you can't pronounce and have never heard of. I think we're in violent agreement. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Um, so let, let me let me go through this tick list of things that you know I may be or. Investors may be worried about, so we, we can either discount them or have to have another further conversation. Please. Okay, so obviously First Nations, I mentioned them, mentioned them earlier. I saw a press release. You seem to be getting on fine with them. Any again, any hurdles or bumps that we need to be that need to be overcome and that we need to be aware of. The uh, the Picatau Agreement, which is our impact benefits agreement with the Cree Nations, the Cree Grand Council, um, ha was signed in two thousand and nineteen. That's a relationship that is is very strong. It, it's been very difficult through COVID when communities have shut themselves off rightly um, to prevent illness. Uh, I, by now, we would have spent an awful lot more time up there. But the reality is money's already started to flow uh, under that IBA, under the Picatau Agreement. And um, we've already been having discussions about training and education. Uh, there's a really cool aquaculture program to reestablish sturgeon region. In other words, the relationship is formalized, it's strong, it's positive. And I think that's another thing that one can say differentiates the company from many of the others that are out there talking. Uh, I you know, regularly see news releases from, from other companies in the region, how they're going to be starting construction near term. And yet they're nowhere in terms of signing an IBA or they're nowhere in terms of concluding the permitting process. This all speaks to a very important point. And that is that the OEMs in particular at the, at the pinnacle, the apex predator, if you will, in this particular system, they somehow have the view that lithium can be brought into the market in a, a snap of a finger, whether that's five years or three years or eight years, who knows. Reality is that the process to get lithium from discovery into the market and qualified, just alone the qualification period is 18 to 24 months. That takes you well over 10 years. Now, there's been some that have expressed the idea that the mining sector has disappointed them in how quickly that they've brought in uh, lithium into the market. Um, yeah, it can be done quickly, but it might not stay open. Uh, the reality is new technologies like some of the recycling technologies that are going on are direct lithium extraction from, from well field or geothermal brines. These are all beautiful. They're all 
elegant solutions to this problem. And they're, they're painted a lovely shade of green. But the reality is they're going to take a while to be brought to commercialization. And in that gap, that five to 10 year gap, conventional mine and brine are what's needed in the lithium sector. We're going to need all the lithium units we can get to ensure that the, the, the companies that want to produce 40, then 60, then 80, then 100% of their brands in, in electric vehicles, those are needed. And that's going to take a lot of money and a lot of time to achieve. It is. Let, let me go through my list because I, 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 need, I need to kind of break this down, right? So you talked about raising 30 million bucks and you, you, you're, you've allocated that. And maybe phase one is all about supposed means phase T lithium hydroxide, right? So, if, so with regards to the technical aspects of phase one, have you done as much as you need to do? It's a simple hard rock uh, lithium project. So how much of the the 30 million is going to be allocated to, you know, closing out the kind of technical understanding? First of all, there's no such thing as a simple project. They all have their unique uh, challenges. Otherwise, mining companies would be delivering their projects perfectly on time, on schedule, and uh, performing perfectly. Nonetheless, we're going to do our, our best to make sure that happens. Um, of the 30 million, 10 million has been allocated for the front end engineering design and detailed design for the, the mill. Another six for the, for the, uh, for the infrastructure. Another one or so for the, the open pit and waste. Um, we're hiring around one and a half million dollars for the owner's team to move forward. So, you know, probably something close to the 20 would be, would be the right number. Um, in the meantime, there's GNA. They burn about 250,000 a month uh, on average for over the last year. And, you know, we'd love to see some other things that happen. Uh, in the meantime, you've got engineering for, for the, the second phase, which is chemical plant. WSP and Metso Autotech have been hired uh, to do that, are working on that, are completing some second round pilot work that get together the details needed for long-term lead item orders and things like that. Uh, that is all coming to a head. So we're in a rush. We'd like to get those technical details out. Why? Because right now we're trading at around 0.4 times NAV from phase one alone. If you look at Canaccord Genuity's global coverage, the average is at around one times NAV. So there's a big discount there that we want to address. In addition, that doesn't include yet the, the, the NAV from phase two. There's no certainty since we haven't delivered the engineering study for phase two. There's no certainty that phase two will happen, but we hope that there will be a very nice economically robust project that comes out of there and that the economic details will then come into the market as well. And are you going to have to re, are you going to have to, okay, and are you going to have to relook at any of this in the sense that you, you obviously a lot of conversations were saying of last year around. Yeah, inf inflation, uh, transitory or otherwise, um, shipping costs, delays, all of these supply chain issues. How's that affecting the the numbers that you've previously put out? Well, we haven't. Uh, we have not published a revised feasibility study. Um, that's a possibility, given that we have money raised now and in the bank. Uh, at the same time, the feasibility study from November 2017 is valid. And if you look at the sensitivity tables in that 2017, you look at a 20% capex uh, inflation, which I think is a pretty darn conservative. That corresponds to an 8%, 8% decline in after-tax NAV. Okay, 
conversely, you look at the the study that, uh, that, that the James Bay Project was just published in uh, the beginning of January. They use a thousand dollars per ton U.S. on spodumene concentrate. We use seven fifty for chemical grade and fifteen hundred for technical grade. And if you add twenty percent to the baseline spodumene concentrate pricing that we used in the November 2017, that equates to a 41% increase in NAV based on the sensitivity table in that feasibility study. So those people that want to see an updated feasibility just need to take a look at the sensitivity tables in that published feasibility study. Okay, we will do that for sure. So it's fun as, yeah. I mean, the, the, the obviously lithium price um, has, did exceptionally well last year, and I think at my moment so did lithium equities. But the, the, you know, this currently seems to be a sort of disconnect in the equities market across the board. Um, and, and I think an important reason for that is that people have to realize that when they see a massive increase in spot lithium carbonate in China, hmm. that is such a, a, a small fraction of the total market. So much more of the market transacts on a contract basis. Yeah. A better way to look at it is the, the benchmark mineral intelligence lithium index, which is up around 400% over the year through 2021. Uh, that That is more of a realized price sort of thing. If you look at Pilbara's sales, their auctions, they're getting over $2,500 a ton for spodumene concentrate. Uh, that's wonderful, but there's no way contracts are being done at that level. So again, if you see somebody like uh, Alchem putting out the James Bay feasibility study, they have sort of a, a long-term price of around $1,000 per ton. That, and that's more conservative and certainly something that is is more acceptable to institutional investors and regulators. And what about comments? Yeah, I'd love to see if someone put out a, a feasibility study at uh, $25 a ton. That would be fun. Someone will. <laughs> You know it, all sorts in this industry. Um, and with, with with regards to um, any conversations with regards to the, the capex component, I, I guess they're on hold at the moment. People just because you've had the, you've talked as much as you can, presumably, and you're just waiting for this permit. Well, I mean, if you look at it, there's all kinds of studies being done in the background that uh, that are looking at capex and alternative ways of doing things, uh, ways of of improving the carbon footprint of the mine. We currently have an electric shovel um, and, and we have diesel hauling trucks out of the pit. Uh, at this point in time, there are no really good electric solutions to that. But, you know, just speculating, throw it out there. What if, what if one used hydrogen fueled trucks? There's all kinds of things that can be done, trade-off studies that are being done uh, on, an, on an engineering basis, detailed engineering basis. And um, stay tuned. Yeah, no, the reason I ask is this, because at, at this phase, so wh- wh- where you are today, traditionally, it's, it's a case of, you know, you know, just polishing here and there, and you're kind of getting a few, few percentage points here, here and there. And it doesn't really amount to a huge, huge bunch, a whole hill of beans, quite frankly, usually. But there's, in this kind of ESG frenzy we're seeing with the funds desperate to rebrand themselves, you know, ESG, um, whatever name, um, and this kind of this green, this green movement and greenification of, of a lot of the conversations, let alone the companies. Um, you guys in the battery metal space are probably better positioned to take advantage of all of this money, which seems to be desperate to allocate to 
uh, green project. So has the, has the money or do you feel the money could be cheaper for you now? Absolutely. The ESG component is extremely important, which means there's an extreme opportunity for those people that are so inclined to greenwash. Um, in the, in Take a look at the financing of Namaska that was done using Nordic bonds at 11 and a quarter percent and contrast that with Sigma that did green bonds at LIBOR plus five. So there's a huge difference if you can position the project legitimately as being ESG friendly. Now, from our perspective, one of the observers of this industry basically said this is the opportunity of a lifetime for Canada and specifically Quebec to take advantage of hydroelectric power. 93% of the grid in, in Quebec is, is hydroelectric. And we have a neighbor right next door who is absolutely hungry for battery material. So this is a fantastic opportunity. We'd like to position ourselves from an environmentally positive perspective. We are far from being there yet but we are gonna use natural advantages to the best of our ability as uncovered through our detailed engineering. From a, a governance perspective, uh, we embarked last year on a series of workshops to improve our governance. And then um, we were blessed to have Ani Markova, a well-known Toronto portfolio manager now fully engaged in ESG, join us on the board. So Critical Elements is on this journey to improve it itself from an ESG perspective. So much more we can do. We're not there yet, but we are going to go in that direction. Okay, Eric. I mean, I've, I've, covered, I've covered a few topics there, and perhaps we need to leave something on the table for, for the next time we, we speak. Um, but you, you're... Hopefully next time we speak, there'll be a Quebec permit in hand. Well, uh, strategic, strategic discussions will have been had and concluded. Let's hope that's soon. Right. <laughs> I think we both want that to be quite soon, um, but it, it, it it'll get there. It's, a, it's just a question of the process that you've got to go through. Like, um, as I say, like I appreciate your time today, um, going through you know where where you're at and, and talking to us. Um, stay in touch and let us know you know how you're progressing, and um, I look forward to speaking to you soon. It's a real pleasure speaking with you as always.